Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to the Behind the Bits podcast. I'm still Scott Curtis, and I'm glad you're here for episode three. On episode three, we've got Rena Calm. She is from Chicago, and she's a favorite headliner all over the country and came from the East Coast but calls Chicago home now. Uh, she gave some great insights about improv comedy and how it helped her get into stand-up and understand her stage presence and uh, working with the audience and all that. Great stuff that comics need to know, which is kind of unnerving for me because uh, every time I've had the chance to do improv, I just freeze. But, uh, you know, that's just the way it is. With uh, Rena, you're going to get a good understanding of uh, life on the road and uh, also managing your own career. Uh, she does everything on her own, uh, books or dates, and does all the all the accounting and stuff that you need to do. Uh, it's pretty cool that she was on Doug Loves Movies. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, if you want to catch her episode, I actually looked it up. It's episode 97, so you can uh, go right to it. Uh, she's got a book out um, available on Amazon. It's called Once Upon a Time, Legend of a Size Queen on Amazon. That's uh, S-I-G-H-S Queen. That's on Amazon. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's uh, basically a bunch of uh, one-liner puns that uh, have worked for her and some um, some of her uh, friends who are artists put uh, some illustrations together for that. So it looks like a really cool book. If you've uh, come to episode three and you listen to the first two episodes, uh, thank you. Thank you for uh, listening, and um, hopefully this has given you some good information about stand-up comedy and what it's all about and what it takes to uh, get to be a good uh, stand-up comic. It's basically serious talk here about comedy, so it's uh, it's it's not a lighthearted romp. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of... Uh, funny stuff in it but there's uh, a lot of serious stuff too and that's really the tone i'm looking for i'm looking to talk to people about uh, what it takes to uh, be a comic and i you know i'm really looking for comics and all phases of their career all the way from you know being a a feature act to uh being somebody like tom Dreesen, who was my first guest hopefully get a broad spectrum of people and a lot of stuff and hopefully there are some good golden nuggets you can take away from it and help you along your career or if you just want to learn what uh, uh comedy is all about and you're a comedy nerd this this uh, podcast is for you too i have to say that uh getting this podcast launched uh had its uh uh, ups and downs, mostly downs. I set it up. Uh, I'm using Podbean, and I uh, set up the name of it incorrectly, and then submitted it to iTunes and Stitcher and all the podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all those apps, and it just uh, totally screwed things up. And uploaded a couple episodes that way, and then I had to fix it and got everything fixed except for Stitcher and uh, Stitcher took a long time to fix it but finally this week they got everything fixed so i am uh i think i'm on all the platforms if you look for behind the bits 
on any podcast app and you don't find it, let me know and I'll figure out how to get on there because uh, it looks like everything went through now. It's uh, kind of an arduous process when you're stupid enough to name your podcast the wrong thing. And I named it really bad. I, uh, what, what, what I thought I typed was definitely not uh, the name of the podcast, so nobody would have ever found it. So uh, episode three is getting ready to come up. Uh, As always, if you like the podcast, rate it on whatever platform that you are listening on. If you uh, think that you would uh, be a good guest for the podcast, give me an email at scott at the btbpc.com. Or you can message my Facebook page. You can message my Twitter page, which is the btbpc. I'm also on Instagram, uh, Behind the Bits Podcast. That's all the social media I'm doing for right now. But uh, here is episode three, and it's Rena Calm, and I think you will like it much more than the intro. Okay, welcome back to the Behind the Bits Podcast. This is Scott Curtis, your host. And with me today, I've got Rena Calm from Chicago. Hey, Rena, how are you? Hello. Thanks. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on the podcast. You know, I'm just getting this started, and uh, I've got comics actually um, saying yes, and they don't even know me. So that that's nice. I appreciate that. Well, it's pretty wild how people who love comedy will talk to anybody who will listen about yeah, no doubt. For... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, that makes me. <laughs> yeah, that makes the interviews easier. I used to do a local podcast and I interviewed people who aren't used to that. And sometimes it was hard to get people to actually say words, you know? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, um, I'll try to choose mine carefully to not ramble on, but yeah. this is not my problem. <laughs> Rambling is okay as long as there's content. That's cool. Um, oh, so, yeah, hot content. Yeah, so I, you know, um, I, I'm old, so I say I saw you a couple years ago at the drop, but it may be four years ago. I uh, The the time time goes by so quick now. But I saw you at the drop, um, I and I you. think... <laughs> I think this was before I was even serious into doing stand-up, and my wife and I went, and you you were one of the favorites I had seen there since we had started going, going and it was just uh, a great show. So oh, I you. always, you know, I, I always remember the, the people that I like, and so that's why you're on my list to be one of my first guests, and so here we are. Well, based on who I know you've already talked to, I am highly complimented. I know you have good taste. You have some of the same favorites. So um, thank you. And, yeah, I mean, that's a really, it's a, it's a more intimate setting at the drop. So I feel like, you know, you can actually like, connect with the audience at a level that you can't necessarily always do when there's, you know, a big huge room of people that, you know, you hope you make an right. impact, but I think it's more personal there. So. Um, thank you. That means a lot to me. Yeah. Well, great. A lot of good comics go through there. So. Yeah, no doubt. I, uh, I, uh, see some, you know, it was the first time I saw Stuart Huff was there and, and, you know, that was obviously a great show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, I've seen Stuart Huff is never just a, a, a night of comedy. That's an experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as far as, um, you getting started in comedy, did you, was that, was that early for you or when, when did you start, uh, actually getting interested in doing comedy? Well, that's a, uh, it's been a kind of a, how early can I go back? No, I mean, <laughs> I always kind of had like a performance 
bug or whatever, you know, like when I was little, I would like try to do stuff like for my, I'm the oldest and I, I don't know if this is me being like a born performer or just an insufferable human being that <laughs> I would always like ask unsolicited, um, offer my services as like the magician for the party and things like that. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know, maybe doing comedy is less embarrassing than being a magician. So, um, <laughs> no, uh, comedy has always been kind of a, a natural thing I've been drawn to, especially like in high school, uh, really was into, I think like the show strangers with candy is, was a huge deal for me. Mm-hmm. I was fascinated by that group they came from chicago and then doing more research about them that they came from second city and how many people came from second city from saturday night live and all that stuff so so i didn't really know anything about chicago but i just kind of decided that that was where i needed to go to pursue whatever i was going to do in comedy right and so i moved to chicago with like the vague goal of comedy was not really a plan um and i was 21 and then uh didn't get to go to college there. I was supposed to go to Columbia uh, College in Chicago. And that fell through, but I just kind of like decided to go. I couldn't, like the financial aid got all weird and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, yeah. My dad said he never filled out this paperwork. It was his taxes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, long story short is that I couldn't go and decided to go anyway, even though I wasn't going to be able to go to school there, I decided to go to Chicago because I wasn't doing much better else. Mm-hmm. And um, the first year I lived there, I ended up getting a job at Second City just as uh, a server working on the night staff and started taking classes there for improv. And yeah, I did improv for a long time, um, a few years at least before I kind of um I don't know, being 21 in Chicago and like jumping into any comedy scene, but particularly improv at that time was definitely just, um, let's call it being 21, but it was a lot Mm -hmm. of drinking and, um, yeah, real life comes at you fast. So I feel like I took a few years off somewhere. Like I did improv for probably like maybe four years, five years, and then, uh, took a little bit of a break to try to be a real person and that didn't stick. (laughs) Uh, so um, tried to do regular stuff, regular jobs, drinking for no reason. And mm-hmm. that didn't really work out. So I ended up, um, <laughs> after like a little bit of a hiatus, uh, probably like a year or two of not doing anything, decided to get back into improv classes. And that round of doing improv is where I met, um, David Drake, who's a hilarious comedian based out of New York now. And him and I, he convinced me I wasn't even, it wasn't even like something that I was easily about to do. But the bar that I worked at had a room that would have been great for an open mic, he said. And so he convinced me to start doing an open mic for stand-up in the back of this bar that I worked mm-hmm. at at Wills North Woods Inn. And that mic's still going. Uh, I hosted it for about eight, eight years. And that was kind of how I started stand-up was really just our first night of, I didn't even do an open mic before we started our open mic. Like I'd gone to a couple of them and I still wasn't convinced that it was for me. (laughs) But I figured I would just dive off into the deep end with hosting. And we just got really lucky with timing when we started the mic. He was really smart about the need for a good Sunday mic at that time because one had just canceled, Mm -hmm. one had just ended rather. Um, and it was actually really funny because I was nobody then in the stand-up world, but 
because of when we started the mic, it got very popular. And there was like a group of kind of scene veterans that were starting their, like young scene veterans that were starting their own Sunday mic. It was like eight comics that everybody liked that were starting a mic and they called it Sunday Swagger. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very funny that they did because nobody showed up. Everybody was at my mic. Oh. <laughs> and even like the people running Sunday Swagger were coming to my mic and so their mic did not last more than like a month and ours just became really busy. Um, Three Dead Moose is the name of the open mic. It's still going every Sunday in Chicago and um, it's not as busy as it used to be uh, but that's probably more reasonable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody really wants to wait. I mean, Coles is like the biggest open mic in Chicago. Coles has been going... Um, a little bit, I think Cole started like a year or two before ours started and that's had like different hosts over the years. Um, but that mic is like legendary and always gets like 60 people signing up every day. So ours was like that for a minute, but, uh, it's definitely more in like the 20, 30 comic every Sunday range, uh, which is, I think more reasonable, but yeah, uh, in Chicago, that's, um, that's that's a really good story. Um, so doing improv, it's one of the things that's uh, been on my mind. Do you feel like that really helped you with doing stand-up, or did it help you with just oh, uh, stage presence? Or Yeah, majorly helpful. Like, it was, uh, uh, I still think that some of my best writing happens when I'm on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, not uh, you know, it's hard to control that, but, you know, those instincts kick in when you're up there to say something funny, and I think that's something that I got from doing improv is, like, you know, trying to be in the moment. I mean, my favorite comedians are in the moment. You feel like you're really connecting to a moment and not just, like, I mean, I love hearing good jokes, but, like, you want to be a part of the moment, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and improv has really helped me with not just, trying to be in the moment and being able to handle unexpected things that come up when you're on stage. But um, even though I'm still not much of a crowd work comic or, I mean, I can deal with a heckler, but my strategy is just kind of like, well, maybe if we're nice to them, they'll stop. Uh (laughs) Like I'm not really the type (laughs) to be like, well, you're ugly too, you know? Right. Yeah. um, I don't think that helps anything really. I mean, I, I have kind of entered a weird, uh, uh, philosophy, I guess, about doing comedy in general. And I like to have a good time like anybody else. And, you know, roasts are hilarious, things like that. But I personally don't really like, um, I want to find a way to do comedy that makes people laugh, but also like makes them feel good and not mm-hmm. walk away being like, oh, that was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Or if I'm going to be brutal about something, I want it to be something that's like right. something we all feel a certain way about like a common enemy not making light of anybody that I don't know right and I think there's definitely yeah I think there's definitely a place for that brutal comedy and I feel like I need it sometimes but if you're if you're not comfortable doing it, if you feel bad when you're done, then I could just see that eating at you and and just you know making you feel like a terrible person. So I I I'm with you. Yeah, I, mean, I can't. I think some some audience members want it. You know, I feel like some audience members want you to like mess with them. There's certain comments that you know if you're going to see like you know that's 
going to happen. You right. know, like they're going to mess with the crowd and stuff like that. And is it uh, like George Wallace would do the Yo Mama joke? You mm-hmm. know, right? Yeah. Like everybody, his audience members would come to the show hoping to hear like the best way that he could insult their mother. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. That's like <laughs> what he's known for. So, yeah, like it's very fun. I'm not criticizing anybody that is able to be like very funny and mean. I think I worry that if I'm. I think I worry that I would be more mean and less funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Say the one thing that's like, oh, that was not cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know? like, you're, you're the one um, to step over the line. Yeah, and I've just learned um, that, you know, the point is to try to be funny always. And obviously, like, you know, tragedy is one of the greatest sources for any comedy. Tragedy plus time, the whole occasion. Right. But I also know from experience that, you know, you couldn't possibly predict like the part of your set that's gonna upset somebody you know so even if I'm trying to I forget I forget what it was something somebody was talking about like a highlights magazine something or or somebody got upset about that once it's like okay Mm. well that's the most innocent reference you could ever make right talking about like highlights magazine like that was a that comic that I forget isn't that big Gale Fiction said, like, you don't know that you got, like, touched in the dentist's office or something like uh-huh. that, you know? I don't know. I feel bad throwing that quote out there because that might not even be accurate. Uh, <laughs> I'm just the lady that says people's names and things that I've randomly picked up in those time. But, yeah, I think that was him. Um, yeah. Yeah, the reason... I think that's on his degenerate special. Yeah. The reason I asked about the improv is because I don't... Uh, I personally don't have any problem getting up and doing stand up but for some reason i've had the opportunity to be uh part of shows that were part stand up and part improv and they always invite me to do the improv and i just freeze and i i don't have anything to add and there i it just scares me i love improv but actually doing it for me for some reason it just it's my achilles heel it's definitely i mean so one thing that I feel like I've really taken from improv when it comes to my writing is this idea that Susan Messing is one of my favorite teachers and like a Chicago legend. Um, and she always teaches, you know, to follow the fear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not saying like, oh, you hate improv, get up there and do it more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, that doesn't feel natural for you. Well, you're just not doing it enough. Right. Like, maybe it's not for you. You know, uh-huh. that's fine. Um, not everybody should, not everybody has the same strengths or inclinations. And if anything, I mean, especially talking about writing comedy, uh, there's not a right way to do this. You know, there's not a correct, there's plenty of wrong ways, you know, but there's not like a, a system that works for everybody. Mm-hmm. And you'd be amazed at some people's systems and what works for certain people. You know, um, there's some people that seem really off the cuff and like, it's very casual that really do write out every word of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And there's other people that seem meticulous and don't write anything at all, you know? So, uh, and when I say don't write anything at all, I just mean like actually writing out their bit, right. you know, keeping like little, like that's my style really. I'm not saying, I guess my style is a little bit more meticulous when it comes to like the phrasing and the puns and the wordplay, like, and, as the steps get longer, there's more going on as far as like callbacks and like when you plant seeds for things you're going to reveal later. So, and that way, I guess it is a little bit meticulous, but I think my improv stuff keeps it a little bit more 
you know, open-ended. Right. <laughs> like I have a plan and it's a pretty strict plan, but it's going to go wherever it goes. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. And I, I'm, I think I'm kind of on your, uh, your side with that because I feel when I write something, I feel like I have to write it all out longhand exactly the way I want to say it. Um, and then I can look at mm-hmm. it and if it, if it sucks, then if it sucks while I'm reading it, then I know it's going to suck while I say it. So, so I can, I can change it, you know, cut out, cut out the fluff and all that kind of stuff. But everything I've done at least once I've written it completely out. And then I, then, then you just, uh, take it down to bullet points and then you just remember it. It's strange to me how many of my bits have been programmed like word for word in my head that I've never written out. I used to write them out all the way and I do sometimes still. And I wish, honestly, my lifestyle right now, I all like, if there's anything I want to do more of in comedy, it's writing. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I'm doing so many shows and it's awesome. And I'm on the road. So I'm constantly just trying to book myself to um, right now. I'm just trying to save up as much as I can to deal with some uh, legal fees. Because mm-hmm. uh, touring isn't always glamorous, yeah, <laughs> uh, and um, things like that. So right now, my focus is kind of like I feel like a real roadrunner as far as like with love. Like I have actually a couple weeks coming up here that I'm really excited to have a few days off to like force myself to do some of the writing because without coming up with new bits and writing new bits, it's like what's the point of living? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's the point of doing this at all? I mean, <laughs> getting your bits good enough to take on the road or good enough to, I want all my bits to be good enough to open or close with, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't want anything that's like downtime, but I mean that you have to play with levels and stuff like that too. And, right. um, I've noticed that my comedy can be a little bit exhausting on the crowd of like, I need to make sure I'm putting in a little bit of like downtime because my writing style in an ideal form is going to be just one joke after another. Yeah, you are, also, you um, are very punchy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're, yeah. I, they, you know, they, they count laughs per minute. I think yours is probably up there on the high side because I mean, you just go right into the next one and and um i don't know if it's exhausting but it's definitely you have to pay attention well first of all i just want to say that right now what i have is the feeling of like needing to not really but emotionally like throw up because my heart came uh if that makes sense from what you just said to me so thank you very much um wow i need to readjust um yeah uh Thank you. I I uh, love puns and just I love um, wordplay and I don't like I don't like any I don't like any dips in the show. I like it to keep at that energetic level. But I have noticed the difference of like the pace I can even go at, and I can definitely tell like a smart crowd from a crowd that I have to kind of like. <laughs> I want to say there's a quote from Emo Phillips that really, like, I think about a lot. He told me after a show once to don't ever dumb yourself down for the mm-hmm. audience. And there are audiences that I feel like don't appreciate the amount of jokes that I have packed into my set. Even if I, and those are the audiences that I try to just not do dumber jokes, but just slow my delivery down to mm-hmm. kind of like get as many of them. And it's crazy how much of like a significant difference that makes of like 
you know, I'll still do my clever take. I don't know. The stuff about like abortion is not something I'll do everywhere because mm-hmm. I am still like, you know, trying to you know, make a living at this and get paid and <laughs> sell merch after the show. And right. some places it's just, I'll, I'll dip my toe in the water. Luckily, that's the thing about having so many jokes in the act is that I can kind of test the waters with a very innocent reference to the idea of a topic like abortion or something like that and see how they respond to that and then decide in that moment if I'm going to even continue with that part. Of right. Act. You um, can do some quick self. I, I don't really, I don't write a set list anymore, which is uh, good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, yeah, the, the self editing part that, you know, that's something that I, I think that has to come with time because I, I'm certainly not there yet. You know, I, I have to do that's it. Where the improv training that comes in very helpful with the improv training because you can make a plan. You can try to plan what's going to work for each room that you're in. And, you know, I know that my style is like, I just did a show in Oxford, Mississippi, and everybody's very intelligent there. Readers love wordplay, and the response of that crowd, you know, you might have preconceived notions about Mississippi, and they're mostly accurate. But mm-hmm. the response of that crowd was like, over, like, that's the kind of place I would love to record an album where, like, there's an audience that's sharp enough to actually even get my jokes. Right. And cut to a couple, like, last week I did a show in Central Florida. And it went okay. Stuart Huff's somebody that's taught me how to be silly enough and throw in enough silliness that even if people aren't on board with maybe all of your ideas, they're still going to be entertained. Because mm-hmm. he's like a scientist at that. You know, he's like, he's the best at like, I mean, I've seen him change people, you know, with yep. his ideas. Yeah. Uh, but I also have seen people who are not going to have their minds changed laugh at how silly he is. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, yeah. So it's, I think that's a real art to find a balance of how to say your jokes, but also be entertaining because maybe, right. maybe your jokes aren't for everyone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really it's hard to tackle. Yeah, it's really hard to tackle a tough subject in a, a a polarizing state or a polarizing subject when without being you know in your face. And if you can do it and and be silly and goofy, then, then first of all, you may get people, like you said, changing their mind. And second off, it, it won't piss off the, the ones that aren't going to change their mind so much, you know? I mean, I don't ever take for granted how it's almost like a weight, the responsibility that I feel in knowing how much more powerful what we do as comedians is than I mean, it's also pointless at many turns, and, you know, <laughs> there's plenty of times I've performed for two people or something, you know, and mm-hmm. but I feel like that makes a difference even in that moment, you know, those two people. See, right now I've hit the moment of this conversation where I'm like, I don't even know how to direct everything I'm saying to keep it on track with a train of thought because <laughs> I just want to tell you everything I'm thinking at once. Uh-huh. Um, Typical but, comic. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, okay, the, just back to the mid uh, Central Florida show, like, two people came up to me after the show on the way out and were like, man, like, they recognized how many jokes I was saying. And, like, they're even like, man, you're really funny. Like, you had so many jokes. I don't think everybody got some. And I'm like, well, it means a lot that anybody else knew what I was doing. Right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, uh, 
I also have to follow a man who just talked about how women are crazy for 45 minutes. And I think that brings me to my point of what I was going to say about how powerful what we do is, because I think we take for granted because we're so excited at the idea of being up there and having jokes and getting laughs and all that stuff and all those aspects that we take for granted how much what we're doing actually could have an effect on the room mm-hmm. and just the sheer power of, uh, of being able to be a powerful public speaker in a room full of people who are possibly there with an open mind, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's not much different than being a preacher. It's not much different than... I think about all the time about the people who are in the audience and like what brings them there, what they're doing there, and they've mm. never been to a comedy show before. Right. And it really... I mean, comics are always thinking about how much time they have to do. Oh, you're doing 45 at that show? Okay. Or like how many jokes do you have to do to fill the time? But not a lot of comics are thinking truly about that that's not just your time. Right. You know, that's everybody in the room's time. Mm -hmm. And everybody in the room has their own universe, but they're going to walk out of that room and hearing everything you said, and you don't know which parts are going to stick with them and what they're going to share with somebody else or how it spreads. Right. Or what's going to come back to you. Somebody quotes a joke that you said that you don't even remember. And I've had that happen a couple of times where somebody's like, oh, man, early days at my open mic, I, and this is, there's so many awesome alternative comics that like alt comedy is one of my favorite things to watch when it's funny. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Same with yeah. Or whatever. Same with stand up. I hate that stand up too. Uh, this like straight edge or whatever you call it. Not alt. I don't know. Uh, like club comics, I guess is the two categories, right? Alt mm-hmm. comedy and club comedy right. or something. Um, I would say there's like three. I would say there's like alt comedy, club comedy and indie comedy, but um, then there's also storytelling, comedy, wordplay, whatever, one-liners. There's, I wish there were genres like there is for music so people could really figure out what yeah. they're going to see. And, right, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and now I'm rambling myself off of whatever point I was trying to make. But, um, yeah, I just, I don't think we realize how convincing we can be sometimes. And, yeah, to me, I guess that's part of my whole thing of, like, trying to, not be mean on stage too because I'm like, oh, that could stick with somebody, you mm-hmm. know? Like, everybody could laugh. I even have a joke that I do now about where I talk about, um, I do a lot of very intelligent humor, so sorry, this is going to go over some people's heads, but it's about balls. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I would pick out somebody in the audience, especially if there was somebody that was heckling and call them long sack. be like, what about you, long sack? Mm-hmm. Um... <laughs> And it would be like explosive laughter. Everybody would just like laugh really hard at, at me pointing out this. And even if that person was like heckling and I would feel almost like righteous about it, like mm-hmm. this person was annoying and now we all have the right to laugh at this person. Right. And now I do a joke where I point at nobody and then I tell that story basically. It's effective. You know, a couple of times I did that and I used to get a bigger laugh. I would point at somebody, but then I looked at the guy. Oh, long sex, the sad sex. I try to make somebody sad, and that's not the point of comedy. Like, <laughs> yeah. you're sitting there feeling down. So I sacrificed the laugh I used to get just because it wasn't worth it to me to, like, really bum one dude out. Right, <laughs> right. That's, and they're wondering, like, why did you say that to me? Yeah, that's funny. One of, one of the first bits I wrote was uh, about sitting on my balls, and uh, 
uh, getting old and uh, being careful when you sit down. It seems like uh, I've I've heard a couple couple in that uh, in that particular genre since then, but and that's really not even part of my act anymore. But it was one of the first things I ever wrote out. Genre, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the the ball genre, <laughs> yeah. Parallel thought, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I guess they're parallel. Um, well, you got enough yeah. dick. You got yeah, enough I dick mean, jokes, I'm, so you got to have some ball jokes too, you know? Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. I think comics get a little bit. I mean, there's ripping a joke off word for word, which is never okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not all right. But then there's. I mean, parallel thought is going to happen, and like that doesn't mean your joke about sitting on your own nuts is going to be, you know, I mean, probably another, another joke could be better or worse, I guess. Mm-hmm. You never know. It's like, um, I think a lot about the comedians and cars episode with Jerry Seinfeld and Gary Chandling, where Jerry's asking him, you know, how do you know when the joke is perfect? And you thought the words right, like the right joke. And Gary Chandling is like, it doesn't matter. You know, the joke doesn't matter. You're giving people, you know, your energy, you're giving mm-hmm. yourself like a, and the, I, I mean, there's lots of jokes that I do remember the words of, but truly, I don't remember a lot of them, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, and maybe that's on me, and everybody's different, um, people have quoted my own jokes back to me in a way that I'm like, oh man, I don't even remember that joke, that's awesome, <laughs> you know, like, uh, that's funny. But some people, I mean, the words are important, obviously, with what I do with puns. Like, obviously, the words are, I mean, I'll scrutinize every Facebook post or Twitter. You know, like, I always think really hard about my words and stuff like that. But on stage, I feel like if you focus too much about the words, you know, you're going to lose the vibe. And that's why when it comes to, like, oh, you have a joke about, I mean, I just watched, like, four comedy specials on Netflix back-to-back and uh, three of them, three in a row, like the comics were just talking about airplanes and, I mean, <laughs> that's beyond hack. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's the, that's the hackiest example of a hack summit. Mm-hmm. You know? But it doesn't matter, like, none of these comics, well, okay, I wouldn't say none of them were hacked, but just, like, the fact that they went after that topic doesn't make them hack. It's just like, okay, like, you better have a really funny story about it because, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, you've so, heard it all. Something new, and uh, and I don't know but if there can be anything new. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're still hearing a person be funny, make mouth sounds, and, like, entertain them. So it's like, if you're still funny to watch, then, yeah, have I heard other dudes talk about sitting on their nuts? Yeah, but if you're still funny to watch, like, that's still a good bit, you know? Like, mm. you can try to be original, of course, but, like, um, yeah, I, I also think like there's not enough topics for the amount of comics there are. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. be, um, you know, not to, no pun intended about your balls, but not for there to be any overlap. Right. Um, <laughs> I think um, that pun, I think yeah. that pun was intended. That was intended. <laughs> yeah, that was very intentional. Hey, um, you're talking about audiences, and you're going you're you're going from one side, or at least from uh from the north to the south, and seeing a lot of different audiences. I I was talking to a comic um that's definitely more experienced than me, and he he gave me this this idea about audiences. He said that most people when they go to a comedy show 
first of all, it's the first time they've ever been to a live show and they have been watching. People, yeah. Yeah. They've been watching Netflix specials. They've been watching YouTube and how you react when you're in your bedroom Maybe. watching. That's and generous to assume. That's generous to assume they're even watching comedy. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and, I think some people walk into that room and have no idea what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and and the Sorry, folks that do the the that have watched the specials and they're watching comics on YouTube, they're used to you know you kind of chuckle to yourself when you're watching something by yourself. You don't you don't have uproarious laughter or anything like that, and then you translate that to a comedy club. Sometimes they don't know how to act, even the ones that kind of know what comedy's about. And uh, I, I thought that yeah, was that, interesting. That's true, but that's also, I feel that's an excuse. Mm-hmm. I Obviously, you know, that's a valid excuse sometimes where you're like, yeah, there's for sure nights you're like, man, that audience, that was just like not a great show. Mm-hmm. You know, like as the group mind is so powerful. So like it takes one person. I mean, I can't tell you, try this, honestly, uh, start a clap. You know, somebody mm-hmm. says something that you like and the audience is like, not, I mean, nobody else is clapping. Start mm-hmm. clapping and see if other people don't just join you instinctively. Um, or like the videos on the train of like, you know, you see somebody laughing so hard that it makes everybody around them laugh. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's something about actually like generating laughter. Like when people share laughter together, that's really like, I think, like soul healing. And yeah, I think some people are don't know how to be in public, let alone a comedy show. You <laughs> yeah. know, some people don't. I mean, there's, it takes all kinds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even just thinking about, I just spent a couple of days in Florida, and that's a bad example for anywhere else, but I spent a couple of days in Florida, and I spent one day even just, like, walking around the beach by myself, which is a thing that, I mean, I'm so, like, what a beautiful time. <laughs> talking to anybody. And people will come up and talk to you on the street, you know, and just say random stuff. And I just kept noting how every single person that just said something random to me, like, aside from, like, your standard good morning or whatever, mm-hmm. you talk to each other. Anybody else that, like, said anything that just felt the need, they had to, like, share something with me and other human. they happened to cry. It was something very strange. Right. Something that, you know, why, why are you saying that to me? Like, why are you <laughs> saying that at all? Oh, like, are you stupid? Like, maybe there's something wrong with me, but I'm just like, like this one woman where on this strip of sand, like Pensacola Beach, it just goes all the way down, shoots through the Gulf of like Mexico, like just off the coast of Florida. So it's just this long, miles and miles of sand. And she's in, yeah, that's what it is. That's what I drove to. We're in the middle of a stretch of miles of sand. And she just looks at me and the stranger walks up. She's like, it just goes on for miles and miles. It keeps walking, and you're like, "How? How did that register in your head as the thing you needed to say to me?" Yeah, you know, like, yes, it does. Yeah, you know, like you just got to validate their experience. Like, yep, uh huh, uh huh. Um, it may just be too so much sun. Maybe, <laughs> and now I'm just rambling. But when it comes to people not laughing loud, I think that that is your responsibility as a comedian to like trick them, mm-hmm. you know, like cause those real laughs are going to come from the elements of surprise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's probably why I've like trained my style to have so many 
punchlines in it because every punchline is a moment of surprise. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's something you didn't think I was going to say. And, or this is something that's going to set off like, um, <clears throat> excuse me, going to set off like a string of thoughts in your head that's going to really quickly lead to a realization that's going to make you go, oh, surprise yourself and laugh, you know? But it's that element of surprise. So you got to catch people off guard a lot of times with comedy is like the whole point of like, you know, there's so many aspects besides joke writing that are going to help with that. Mm-hmm. Like stage presence, um, tone of voice, all those things. Um, the way you move across the stage, the way you can literally direct people's energy with your eyeball. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's so far beyond the wording of a joke that goes into the element of surprise that hits the audience in your delivery. Right. Um, I, I think it took me so a good a good two years to actually um, look at people in my audience. I was yeah. I was talking above them, and I finally mm-hmm. I find finally figured out. Nobody told me, but I finally figured out. Eh, I'm really not connecting here. And when you start doing that, then I mean, e- even if you're not doing well, you you at least are seeing what's happening and then you can you can uh change it up when needed Mm -hmm. yeah i mean being connected to the feeling of the room there's nothing i mean yeah obviously every comedian goal is or should be to get great laughs but there's also these wonderful moments when you're on stage where you could hear a pin drop Mm. that are almost even more exhilarating because you know you have like maybe even 200 people just on like completely locked into your act you know like waiting to hear a bated breath like what is she going to say next um and yeah obviously your (laughs) goal is to say something that makes them laugh very hard after that right but those moments when you know everybody's just like totally tuned into you are yeah those are just as fulfilling as laughs can be sometimes because you're like okay i'm doing this i've got this crowd like right where i need them Mm. right where i want them i built up this energy this is my energy that i've built up you know uh and i think that looking at the audience is i remember like uh there's a really great tutorial on youtube i think or maybe it's in video i don't know but ralphie may did like a stand-up workshop yeah um, I, I actually have that and, saved. I haven't watched it yet, but I somebody else posted that, and it's it, it looks really good. I watched a few minutes of it. Yeah. Well, one of the um, one of the things from that that I really stuck with and uh, think about is him talking about you know how he's telling his jokes, like where he looks, and how there's a trick and an art to making sure you're using your hands and your face and your eyeballs to get everybody like, Oh, like round up the whole room's attention. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, you look to the right, you look to the left, you look all over and then you bam, shoot your punchline right down the center. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't until watching him talk about that, that I really, really thought about, um, how, how much that can help, you know, really it feels like scooping up everybody's attention into a pile. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like getting it right where you need it. So you can bam, deliver your joke right to the center. And also like, I mean, I'm so flattered and complimented by the stuff you've said about, uh, my act and obviously comedy is an art form. So everybody's 
going to do it a certain way, a different way, hopefully, and everybody who likes comedy is going to like somebody else or a certain style more than others. Mm-hmm. What I, I mean, I like to pride myself in being able to like, tune into the room's energy and connect with the crowd, but I still feel like I have learning to do in the sense of like, I mean, I would love to be better at that, you know? Like I said, I'm not like a crowd work style comic. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's something I would rather write more comedy that I love than work on that skill. <laughs> but yeah, there's like that's one of the most impressive things. I mean, I love a well-written act. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some of my favorite comics are just like the most sharp and like uh, like viciously funny writers. Mm-hmm. Um, but performers, I really there's nothing that beats a performance of like somebody who just doesn't even need material, mm-hmm. you know, like somebody who can just walk into a room, own it. And like, uh, Kristen Toomey is somebody that's amazing at that. Mm-hmm. And I've watched her go up and do 20 minutes without saying a single joke and just kill the room. <laughs> and Marty DeRosa is another one who's like the cloud work king of my life, but definitely Chicago. Marty DeRosa is incredible at cloud work and, uh, yeah, they make it not look like work at all. It's mm-hmm. like watching people like that makes anybody think to go up there and just be funny without material, but absolutely not. Right. <laughs> you know, and they also have great material. Like, you know, they both look like Marty just had his first album come out um, and live from Parts Unknown and Kristen, uh, her first special is coming out soon. Um, and that's all material. It's not a crowd work album, a crowd work special, you mm-hmm. know, but, um, yeah, I, I just think that that's to me, like, maybe it's one of those things where the grass is always greener kind of a thing. Like, I was, oh, I wish I had a talent envy. I wish that I could be that powerful, yeah. funny without, you know what I mean? Like, needing. One time, me and Kristen had a, a debate show against each other. We did arguments and grievances. And, um, oh, no, this was, sorry, this is a roast battle. Beef, Chicago. We did a roast battle together. And I planned for weeks, like, writing anything I could think of to uh-huh. say about her. Like, what's, like, you know, you know, mean enough to be funny, but not so mean. That's my best friend, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Just writing for weeks, trying to jot down any idea. And ultimately, and I was going over all my notes, like, before the show. She saw me going over my notes. So ultimately, she gets my ass. <laughs> by making fun of me for preparing. Yeah. She literally just made fun of me for writing jokes. <laughs> and for like going over my notes. She made fun uh-huh. of me for that and kicked my ass. Yeah. Did so, she ask did she ask uh, for your notes or uh No, but honestly, I'll tell you what, like and I told her this too, like I think I made her nervous because she hadn't planned anything. Uh huh. Yeah. And so that was her like defense mechanism was to kind of like bully me through it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I mean, she won. It worked for yeah. her because, like, that's super powerful, you right. know, to be able to, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's, like, a question of, like, it, it, you know, comedy, you know, being funny is absolutely, like, part of the equation, but confidence is a pretty important part of the equation, too, you right. know? Right, There's been a lot that's of writers. Of like, yeah. There's been a lot of writers who aren't yeah. great performers and a lot of performers who aren't, aren't great writers and get, getting them both together. That's, that's pretty rare. 
Yeah, I mean, they're there. I mean, yeah, like I said, both of those two examples that I gave you, they both have amazing material, like enviable material. But mm-hmm. yeah, they don't need it, which is even more. I mean, you know. Yeah. So that's a very uh, in on the East Coast. That's like a. Uh, I noticed like a lot of the comics just go forward with this like really brazen, like aggressive, like attack the room style. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not attacking, even if it's like playful living, you know, like it makes you feel like you're at some like family reunion and everybody's making fun of your uncle. Mm-hmm. You know, like it makes you feel even more connected than you can feel when you're just all laughing and jokes. Right. Right. You know, one of the things, I don't think this go ahead. helps anybody yeah. <laughs> to talk about. Yeah. I mean, if you can't just make fun of people off the cuff, then go home. Right. Uh, yeah. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I've noticed and, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not even a traveling comic and I've just done a few shows. Uh, and I wondered if this is the same for you. Do you feel like you're always working and you're always writing and the, every part of your life you're kind of on because it may be a bit. And I, I kind of think of that meme that goes around with the, the anime anime guy with the butterfly in his hand. And I just think, is this a bit, uh, d- does that happen to you where your brain's always working and trying to figure out how, you know, going to Costco on Sunday could uh, become a bit. I mean, I wouldn't say that. Um, I would say there's times like, you know, I was arrested in April and, uh, it, you know, it had to be from one of two things. If you know me at all, you know, it was either a weed or a crime. Uh, it was weed. Uh, and, uh, in those moments that are like, well, this is messed up. Uh, I even told the officer while he was arresting me, like, well, I better get good material out <laughs> yeah. of this. You know, like. I'm paying Oklahoma $3,500. I better get 10 good minutes out of this crap. Uh-huh. But that's not a thing that you would be like, oh, I hope I get arrested yeah. <laughs> for material. Or, um, I think it's, I think that you said a lot that I like connect with and also some things that like, are disruptive in mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in order to be successful at anything you do, any career path or hobby, like you have to be a whole person, like a well-rounded individual with regular thoughts and the regular <laughs> patterns and habits. Yeah. So, no, I don't think it's especially helpful to go to Costco and hope for something <laughs> to happen. Or like, I get the style of observational humor of trying to like, you know, to think of what's funny about a grocery store. Mm-hmm. I can respect that. And maybe going to the grocery store is a good way to like generate those ideas. But I think that's putting an awful lot of pressure on your trip to Costco. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that my writing style, and again, everybody's is different. I want to, you know, I want to say that like the hour we're chatting today, if this wasn't us chatting, I would be using this time to write comedy. That's not true. Mm-hmm. I would be on Instagram. I would be doing <laughs> promo and, you know, booking and stuff like that. I'm in a really weird phase of my tour, which has lasted since January. Uh, uh-huh. Not stopping. Uh, <laughs> and before that. Um, um, I'm in a really weird phase of this right now, like I said, where I'm kind of in, like, scavenger mode of trying to, like, um, deal with, like, logistics more than writing as much as I'd like. Of all, actually, Stuart Huff, like, so kind to talk to me about, like, some of his best for like 
generating comedy and writing and stuff like that, especially when you're trying to go after topics that matter to you. Like, how do you go about that? Do you all of a sudden, like for him, for example, he's got a brilliant hour about the Cosby. Mm, so yeah. And now, do you do you go in like you? just have these amazingly funny thoughts about the Constitution and mm-hmm. write an hour around it? Or do you say, I want to make the Constitution funny. I want to go in and talk about this and try to write jokes around it. And, you know, he gave me some really helpful ideas that, you know, he had to disclaimer at first. It's something that works for me, but that doesn't mean at all that it'll work for you. Right. And, you know, things like that that are like ideas that I don't want to repetitive, I would say, suggest one of his episode of your podcast for those uh, insights. But uh, the the Constitution bit actually came up uh, when when we talked. And the funny thing is, is one of the first times he was trying to flesh that out was in South Bend. And I was there. I got to see, you know, I got to see him go through well, that. A bit more of an hour. Yeah. I mean, the Constitution hour. Yeah. He had he had maybe maybe 10 minutes at, at, at that point. And um, okay. and it's and funny because he said he hated it. He hated it at that time, and yeah. he, he, he he didn't know if he was going to go through with it, and then he just kept doing it, and now now he's trying to get an hour out of it. I'll tell you what, he's got the hour, and I'll tell you what real quick about him, is that every single time I've seen him perform live, after the show, he says, or before the show, before he starts, he said he was working on another hour, but yeah. he didn't like where it was going, so he threw it out, and now he's doing this, and it goes well, and then he just blows your whole mind. Yeah. How brilliant. <laughs> his comedy is. Um, oh, like, I mean, he's somebody that I think really hard about, uh, as well. I mean, I've told him this, but also, like, shut up. <laughs> like, how much he's inspired me to do comedy the way that I'm doing it. And I understand um, his, he's been super supportive of me um, above and beyond, but also, like, anybody's hesitation to say, oh, you like this, what I'm doing? You should do it too, knowing what that means. Yeah. <laughs> People see me touring and stuff like that, and like, oh, I want to do that too. And it's like, you don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, I think that my journey is very different than his, and anybody's journey is unique. But when it comes to that, back to the writing thing about like trying to like go into places, yeah, like if you're always on that particular statement is what I don't like the idea of being always on because I think that. One of the tricks that I've had to learn more and more the busier that I've gotten with comedy, you need to compartmentalize certain parts of your life to make sure that you're still tending to every aspect in mm-hmm. like a healthy way. I mean, there's stuff in my life that's, you know, been neglected, like my health and things like that and my taxes. Um, <laughs> there's stuff that, you know, all those things are important, even if they're not. And they're all part of, like, pursuing whatever dream you're doing. You have to take care of life stuff. So I think for me, especially when you talk about going to Costco, going to Costco, trying to come up with, like, uh, sorry, um, trying to come up with material at any given time is, like, no, for me, honestly, my last couple years in Chicago, (laughs) after comedy shows, I, I don't really drink much anymore. And I also have kind of... Maybe because you're a little bit older, I don't know if this, if you can sympathize with this, but like, I need like alone time. Uh, yeah. I don't need to be out and like sitting around for 
I mean, I love doing it sometimes. I just had some really great comedy chats in Florida. Mm -hmm. Like, I, in Chicago, got to a point of like, okay, well, the show's done. I can leave. I'm going to. Yeah. I'm going home. Yeah. And I always would feel a little bit disturbed by the people that seem to just, like, not want to go home. Yeah. You know, like, just keep going, keep talking, keep doing this thing when so what when you say go to the grocery store and think of this it makes me think of when i would be done with my shows i would just walk around the jewel the grocery store in chicago i would just go grocery shopping at like you know midnight mm-hmm. and just walk around jewel for like an hour yeah and i don't think i was thinking about much of anything i mean i might have been you know messaging people or you know doing whatever else but really just kind of clearing my head um i don't know like I said, I, I'm saying this from the position of somebody that wishes they wrote more. So it's also mm. like kind of like, well, that would be a good time to try to write comedy bits. Yeah. That question actually... Uh-huh. That question actually came... Uh, I was watching um, this video. Um, a guy's a, a golf pro that has a podcast, and he had Nate Bargetsy on his podcast, and he'd video part of it. And uh, Bargetsy said the only time he feels at peace is when he's on the golf course because he's always feels like he has to be writing when he's not golfing. That's the only time he can focus on something. That, and that's that's kind of where that question came from. And I kind of saw that a little bit in myself. And like I go to I go to bed okay. and I go over the whole my whole day and I think, OK, what's funny and think about what I could make a bit out of. Oh, I mean, like, I've been really working on, like, I think my uh, my mind is never, you know, still. Mm-hmm. So I think that I wake up, like, with this constant, like, uh, I don't know if anxiety is the right word to describe it, but just this, like, to-do list that floods in every morning of, like, you know, and I go to bed with that, too, of, like, I feel like every night and every morning I'm kind of going to bed and waking up just with, like, all the thoughts of things that I didn't do yet or have to do or people have to message or, you know, like, all these things is I don't have a, a manager or anything. You know, I book myself all my gigs. So there's mm-hmm. like so many aspects that I feel like are always um, keeping me from being able to just focus on writing, which sounds like an absolute fantasy right now. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but that being said, like, um, I've always kind of thought of writing for myself. And I, I always, me talking to Stuart and trying to focus more about like how I could actually execute like, writing time better, like actually trying to sit down or whatever and come up with stuff, um, which I don't do really at all. I really like, I don't want to even admit how little I spend time writing. Mm-hmm. My thing is kind of like that Mitch Hedberg joke of like, if I think of something funny, I write it down. And if I can't find a pen, I just have to convince myself it wasn't that funny. Yeah. <laughs> and so I always find a pen is the thing. I will find a way to write it down, you know, but I, the funny thoughts come to me, you know, so if something's funny, you just have to try to like write it down or I don't know. It'll be like, I'll be talking to my brother or something. And I have a joke that I do now about our grandmother that came out just because we were chatting and it made him laugh. And I was like, is that just funny to you or is that funny to everybody? Mm. (laughs) And it's funny to everybody, you know, so there's very few times that it has happened. Uh, like I said, I get a lot of my best lines when I am on stage and in the moment. Uh, but there's been a few jokes that, and I felt really accomplished, like the first time this happened, I was on like two hour drive to 
do five minutes opening for Aerie Spears at <laughs> the Improv in Schomburg. And I spent more time looking for parking every night of that weekend than I did on stage. Yeah. And <laughs> Aerie Spears' crowd is not my crowd, and Aerie Spears' comedy is not my comedy. Uh-huh. Uh, do not care for it. Um, and I don't care if he ever hears that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he won't. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was one of those things like every time I listened, I was like, oh my God, it's worse than last time. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but it kills, he sells out and people are like, oh my God, he was on that TV 10 years ago. That's awesome. You know, or mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Um, so he's so funny. He's not. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I mean, he, he's my next guest, sell. by the way. I'm kidding. No. Uh, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> No, he didn't talk to me either. I heard he doesn't talk to people because he's worried everybody's going to try to kiss his ass. Oh. Like, um, (laughs) that's not a concern. Yeah. Um, Anyway, sorry. I heard he's been rude to other people that he's worked with. So I'm Uh, sure that anybody who's worked with him will be like, sure. And then other people will be like, I'm tweeting Harry Spears about this bitch from Chicago. Um, Yeah. uh, Anyway. Uh, I had a, it was like a two hour drive to get there and on the way there I thought of a joke and I, it made me laugh like the thought of it in the car mm-hmm. and I was also pretty new then I was only like you know four five years in and I I mean I still think I'm pretty new but um, I remember thinking like to do that show tonight it's like the improv like I gotta play the hit you know mm-hmm. and uh, but I did it anyway and it killed and I still tell that joke and it's yeah. my best selling merch comes from that joke it's embarrassing uh-huh. to admit but <laughs> my point is that like once you every now and then after a while you'll get ideas that you just know are funny you mm-hmm. don't need to like write and flush them out and try them in front of the crowd you're like I mean, those are just incredible when you have an idea that you're like this will work right and then you try it on stage that night and it does it works mm-hmm. and um yeah I mean I love trying stuff that fails too because that's part of this. But right, um, yeah. I mean, in those cases when it comes to like jotting down stuff that's funny, it's like I could never have like sat down and come up with that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like something that occurred to me. You know, right, like my best stuff is just stuff that <laughs> whenever it occurs yeah. often on stage. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, um, I, I know that um, we've been on for a while, and I want you to be able to get get back to your life. Um, I do like to do, like, at least one nuts and bolts things. Um, one of the things I've noticed, because I go to a lot, of, a lot of open mics, is I see people do, you know, they'll do three open mics, and they're talking to me, and they say, I got to get a good 20 minutes. I got to get my good 20 minutes. And I always back up and say, you really need to get a good five minutes first because you're going to get that yeah. and then you're going to hate it. Then you're going to rewrite it and you're going to change it. How long, just, just so comics have a point of reference, how long would you say it took you to get that first really good 20 minutes? Oh man, I honestly, uh, I can remember I was doing a show with Kristen Tumi. Uh, my first time at the drop was opening for her too. Um, and we were doing a show where she was headlining and minutes, hour, even of material at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, she's not the kind of person that even needs to do all the jokes. She can crowd work the way through a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So for her, it's less concerning than somebody like me who's there to be 20 minutes. Okay, well then that's 20 minutes of straight jokes. Like it's going to be 20 full minutes of pretty tightly packed jokes. And, um, 
So I remember we were on our way to do a show in, I think, the Quad Cities, and I was going over my notes, and she just, like, kind of gave me shit in the car. I was like, you could do 20 with your eyes shut. And uh, I think I needed, I think some people are a little too eager to, like, have their 20. Mm-hmm. I think I'm a little bit beyond of like I'm a perfectionist like right now if I were to like lay out all of my materials I would probably guess that I have somewhere around like I don't know maybe 90 minutes of mm. stuff that I like but I never do more than like 45, 50 an hour sometimes mm-hmm. usually it's more like 45 or 50 I've, I finally broke an hour last year but I remember like until that I kept like looking at my clock and it'd be like 58, 59, and never quite hit an hour. But anyway, so I'm not the kind of person that's going to, you're ever going to probably hear, oh, she went for three hours. No. Very <laughs> fierce. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, and for that, I admire them. But yeah. Um, you're never going to hear, I mean, I'm not the kind of person that I like to uh, always leave them wanting more, right? So anyway, <laughs> my first 20, that, I just want to say that that was like, um, I always try to have goals in comedy that I can see through without any outsiders. Like, you know, you can set goals of like, oh, I want to play this room, that room, that room, but that requires those people to book you. Mm -hmm. You know, or I want to get on a late night. Um, You know, good luck. You can do it. It's not an impossible goal, but you have less control over that than something like that you can control. Like for me, getting to 20 was like my goal one year. I'm like, I just want to get a good 20. Now, mm-hmm. if I could remember what year that was, this would be a better answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I would say that, that was probably like four years in. Yeah. Or three or four years in. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think my first year, I didn't take it seriously at all. You know, I was just trying to get four minutes at a time for open right. mic. And I did get booked to do an eight-minute set before the end of my first year. I remember my first set was and, um And then, yeah, I think I was working on, like, 10-minute sets and, like, working up to doing, like, 15-minute sets here and there at, like, the Laugh Factory and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then, so, yeah, I would say that probably, like, my three- or four-year goal was probably just to get a really solid 20. Mm-hmm. And then once I hit 20, my next year's goal was to get a solid 30. And then after that was 45. And I'm not trying to hit a goal past an hour. So once I hit an hour, I made my goal trying to do all 50 states. Mm-hmm. I looked down and realized I'd already done like 30 something of them. So um, yeah, now that's my goal. And um, that, to, to finish that, it's going to take a little while longer. So right now I'm trying to. Um, break my brain on coming up with like whatever I think a tight five minute set would be mm-hmm. to do like submitting for late night stuff, which is a weird way to think about comedy when you're trying to work on doing an hour. You right. know? I'm also trying to figure out like what my album would be if I could record an album. Um, so for when I record an album, I should say it'll mm-hmm. be. I have those things kind of on the back burner right now, uh, and they're completely opposite ways of of like trying to craft like five minutes and trying to craft the right album. So uh, I don't know if that answers your question at all. Well, (laughs) it really does um, because I've I've been about five years into it, and I don't even feel like I've got a good twenty yet. Um, I've uh, I've got. I, I I can make the fifteen twenty, but yeah, I and I don't I I haven't uh, concentrated because you know I've got a real job and all that kind of stuff too. So I've uh, uh, 
got other things going on. But um, I bet if that's how you feel, then I bet that your 15 is great. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like if you're going to be that critical of yourself and that hard on yourself about the 20, and then I mean, you're doing 20-minute sets sometimes, but you feel like you really have 15, then I bet that 15 is great because otherwise you would just be bragging about doing 20 minutes. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah no um, doubt. I did just book somebody. I don't want to, like, she was actually just at the drop, so I don't want to even say I was so proud of her this night, um, but I don't want to, like, out her about it. Um, and this is on me. This is like something silly of me that I did of like, I just really always liked watching her perform and like I'd seen her do so much different material at open mic when I was in Chicago that I figured that enough time had passed that in my own comedy clock, I just figured that in the time that's passed that I see her name on certain shows, I'm like, oh, she's probably doing a lot of 20 minute sets or has 20 minutes do you know mm-hmm. and so i booked her to feature for me doing a 20 minute set and on the way there we also just like wanted to have a chance to chat about comedy and on the way there um i asked her you know how much time she had and she really like had it broken down and really said she had like i don't know i feel like she felt confident in having maybe even less than mm-hmm. you know or or you know what maybe it was like it was a really weird show of like just do like 22 minutes and he was like well I figured I got this this and this and that's 17 and then had a couple ideas of things to throw in there and she had a great set I mm-hmm. mean she she did so good so it's like not me like criticizing her but I can't believe I didn't even check with her to get right. you yeah. 20 minutes uh-huh. <laughs> and now I just assumed she did yeah and now she does now she can say I've done 20 you know like you don't know you do it until you do and also, she had so much material that she didn't even do that, you know, I think that that's an art, too, of, like, you're saying that you have 15 minutes. Yeah, maybe, but you don't really know, like, uh, it's, like, it's hard to, like, know what a painting could look like if you had a bigger canvas, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Like, how do you spread out the colors? And, you know, like, it, it, there's, you, it's hard to, so until you have, like, the practice of doing 20 minutes, that's why it's, like, yeah, you don't want to do... 20 minute set before you have 20 minutes but like I think it's safe to try to like push yourself when you're almost there to fill that time because that's that, that pressure is what's going to make you grow right you know and right. make you like scramble to write some stuff to fill that time mm. yeah you got to feel a little uncomfortable up there when you're trying to get that 20 so that uh, you know it's good when you got it yeah yeah but you know that's why like you know no offense to the drop but the drop is perfect room to do an uh, experimental 20 in, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Because, I mean, that's the first room I think I ever, it's not the first room I ever headlined. I think it's the first club I headlined. Um, the first time I ever did 45, I had never done 45, and I wasn't expecting to that night at a bar that's now the Blue Room Comedy Club. It wasn't then at all. It was just the back of a bar. It's been converted and is now an amazing comedy club. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably like three times the size of the drop. Um, and uh, yeah, they're like, you're doing 45. And I was like, acted totally cool about it, but was absolutely freaking out and just cramming my notes. Like, oh gosh, I have to like 45. <laughs> I don't know that I can do that. Yeah. Um, and was it like a 45 that I'm exceptionally proud of and would record no but it was good and you know I stretched out the parts that weren't there yet and it at least gave me the confidence to be like okay I can hold down the stage for 45 minutes <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm not I don't feel bad about you know 
yeah, I, I'm not like embarrassed about anybody seeing me do that before I was ready because that was me becoming ready. Right. Know? Right. Yep. Definitely. Um, I've got one last thing I want to ask you. Um, what was it like doing Doug loves movies? Um, I was high. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I love, I love that podcast, but I don't get high, so I don't get a lot of it, but I, I it, it just cracks me up. Um, it's such a good podcast. I have to tell you, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts uh-huh. and, uh, that's one of the ones that when I have listened to it, I'm like, Oh, this is great. Mm-hmm. But I don't really listen to many podcasts. And so, but I love him and I was so excited that I got asked to be on it. Then when I first got what to do it, I thought I was doing getting Doug with high. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was just going to be about, you know, 420 stuff. And I was like, perfect. I can talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was the movies one. And, uh, Doug Love movies is, I didn't, I mean, I listened to it before and I'd listened to it in the past and I listened to it, especially like before we recorded. And so like, I knew like how it worked. I didn't realize what I was getting into, like <laughs> how, the fans like participate yeah. and what they can do that and uh-huh. I didn't realize any of that and uh I mean I had a blast. I really had fun with like the gift bag thing that I put together mm-hmm. and um I still have regrets because I got overwhelmed because they everybody stands up and holds up their signs that they make and you have to pick one to be the person you're playing for and there were so many great signs. There was also this chick that I worked with Grubhub and it was in the crowd, and she was, like, saying my name, and I knew her from work a little bit, you know? uh-huh. so I was like, oh, I felt like I had to pick her, even though, honestly, her sign was not that great. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, like, everybody's reaction to me picking her was like, why would you pick that yeah. one? Not a good one. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I feel like I kind of let him down by picking somebody that, you know, like, I it worked. Right. In that, like the fan, the one person who knew me in the crowd, like she won. <laughs> I, I mean, I was like I said, I was. We smoked right before. I don't ever smoke before perform or do a podcast or anything like that. But you mm-hmm. know, with him, I'm not going to say no. So, yeah. Aside from being stoned, I also know uh, over like just so little about movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, mean, I think I've that's true. Him. That's true of a lot of his guests. So I don't, I, I don't think you're alone in that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. Um, you know, I can, I try to be funny about being dumb, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it was a huge rush. It was very fun, very cool. Yeah. And, then, uh, yeah, I just hope I didn't let him down by making <laughs> such a unappealing sign, but it's for personal reasons. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Well, uh, Rena. Go ahead. Again, but I wasn't in town, so I, uh, hey, Doug, if you're listening, uh, find me on the road. He won't, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, Rena, it was great talking to you. I think I think there was a lot of good uh, information there, and um, I know you are in the middle of this exhaustive tour right now, <laughs> and uh, you just need some rest, I think. So um, I'm, I'm going to let you do that. <laughs> Um, well, I'm sorry I give that impression off, but it is accurate. <laughs> well, yeah, well I, 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 I read between the lines in some of the stuff, so um, I would well, like to tell folks. I, I don't hit you, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got to get ready for my show, but yeah, that'll be relaxing. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> 
So folks, go to arenacalm.com uh, to see where Rena is, and also check out Amazon because she's got a her first book's out called Once Upon a Time, and I bet there's some puns in there. Yep, it's a book of puns. Yeah. The website being, I even have my current, that's how behind I am, is that, you know, I have a little uh, trouble keeping up with things like that. Uh, but there is a website. I would say the best place to follow me for up to speed information would be Instagram right now. Okay. Um, so at Renacom on Instagram. And yeah, definitely there's a link on my Instagram page to get them to if you like puns. Uh, it's holiday season, right? Great yeah. gift for <laughs> someone who don't like. No, just yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank, thanks a lot, Rena. I really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me.